with popular demand, Julie <laughs> Kelly is back. She writes for American Greatness, and no one has done better work on all kinds of government malfeasance than Julie Kelly. Julie, it is great to be have you back on the Devin Nunes Unplugged podcast. And Julie, of course, writes for American Greatness, but thanks for being here. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. I know we have a lot to cover. So We, we do again. have a lot to cover, and I want to get right into it because... You know, you wrote this great piece um, a couple weeks ago called Informants Everywhere uh, for American Greatness. And this has long been a question that, that I've had from the very beginning. And I think millions of Americans have had as it relates to January 6th, you know, who were some of these characters that were out there? And I've always said, you know, like we talked about last time, like the people that broke the windows, those people, I want them prosecuted. But the people that just got let in there seems a little weird. And then you have people who didn't even enter in the Capitol. We talked about all that on the last show. But it seems like now there's been some some kind of breaking news that informants, I mean, you do have evidence now that there were, I don't know if you call them informants or off-duty police officers or police officers in disguise, Julie, but why don't we, I'll let you describe it since you're the expert. What have what have we uncovered through the latest court cases uh, during the prosecution of some of the January 6th defendants? So I think I'll start with the seditious conspiracy trial of five members of the Proud Boys. And that trial has been going on since December. Uh, it is about to wrap up, hopefully this week or next week. Um, but what has been disclosed, Evan, is the presence of between eight to possibly up to 15 FBI informants who were embedded in that group months before January 6th. And trying to get a real grasp on what those informants did, uh, what they were telling their handlers, we know at least a few of them were on the ground with the Proud Boys that day, including one Proud Boy, one FBI informant, who is at the initial breach point, the exterior breach point on the west side of the Capitol. I'm sure everyone remembers the uh, Ray Epps whispering into the ear of a guy with a red MAGA hat on. His name is Ryan Samsel. They really were the first ones to so-called breach the exterior boundaries um, a little before one o'clock that day. So there was an informant in that group. What's coming out in this trial, though, Devin, is that the informants were telling their handlers that the Proud Boys had no conspiracy, no plan, no uh, organized plot to attack the Capitol or cause an insurrection. Um, so that's sort of what's been coming out in the trial. They were embedded in group chats, uh, both um, parlor group chats and encrypted group chats, sort of like we saw in the Whitmer Fednapping hoax. Wait, 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 wait. Parlor? What? Parlor? They had parlor? The, the, these feds were in the parlor group chats? Yes, they were. Oh yes. my gosh. Can I tell that's you too? So, never, that's so bad. That's so ridiculous. We've never talked about this, but I will tell you my suspicion is the reason that Parlor was taken down on what was it, January 11th, was not because it fomented the insurrection. Because if you look at all the evidence, most of it has been collected off of Facebook and Twitter, mostly Facebook. I think the reason they deplatformed Parlor is because there were so many videos showing exactly what happened that day. 
not just police who are letting protesters into the building, giving them high fives, but more egregiously what police, especially D.C. Metro, were doing to the crowd outside, which was really assaulting them with these non-lethal munitions. I think that's why Parler was taken down. We could talk about that another day, but mm -hmm. the Proud Boys were using Parler with these FBI informants in these groups talking about plans. And a lot of the evidence is just heated rhetoric between these guys uh, before and after January 6th. So nonetheless, this is their trial is ongoing. And this is um, the disclosures that the government has tried desperately to withhold, not just from the court and the jury, but certainly from the defendants and their attorneys as well. Now, now you're not talking about, because there's been all this confusion about Ray Epps. And of course, you had that initial video of Ray Epps the night before where the the Trump supporters are all yelling, fed, fed, fed. And they're pointing at Ray Epps and as Ray Epps is yelling, like, let's go to the Capitol. <laughs> and then you have the next day, then you catch him on, you know, letting people or telling, pushing like a guy to go to go through. Um, and then, you know, several stories that were written about this. These guys, I think Revolver News, I think, broke some of the original stories about this guy. He was like living out in Arizona or something. But we were told now, look, it doesn't I mean this doesn't mean anything. In fact, it could mean the opposite. But by the Democratic scam Jan 6 commission, we were told that uh, Epps was not a Fed, not was not working for the, uh, the, the federal government in any capacity. Right. Is, is that what we were told? Am I remembering that correctly? Yes, that is what we were told. And that is what one of the transcripts, I believe he's been interviewed twice, but one of the transcripts, an investigator on the committee asked Ray Epps a number of times if he had been working with any federal agency, either law enforcement, defense, or intelligence. And he repeatedly said no. Now, that doesn't mean that he wasn't there in another capacity. He could have been there hired by, as you know, you know, maybe somebody who is being paid by, say, the DNC or Joe Biden's campaign, you know, one of those operatives that we sort of saw in 2016. But the mm -hmm. idea that Ray or, Epps, or or a contractor, for that matter, or a contractor. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I'll tell you, and this is what we can talk about next time that I'm researching is the Department of Defense's involvement before and on January 6th. So it could be that he was working with a contractor for DOD. That's total speculation. I know other people have raised it. But the facts, fact that not only the January 6th select committee in the media leapt to Ray Epps' defense when people started questioning why he wasn't um, arrested, we now have evidence that he was on restricted grounds for at least an hour and a half. People who have been charged for trespassing outside of Capitol grounds, but somehow Ray Epps is still uh, a free man uncharged. So at any rate, these are just the questions, Devin, that so many Americans have. And I yeah. know you saw the Rasmussen poll that showed 60% of Americans think that federal agents provoked the events of January 6th. That's a huge number. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that is something that, you know, House Republicans need to prioritize, investigate, and get the truth out to the American people. So, so these feds that they're that they that are in this trial, this latest trial, um, do not include Ray Epps. Clearly, they do not. Um, oh. And I believe he was subpoenaed uh, to testify in the Proud Boys trial because mm -hmm. he was there at the breach point, um, mm -hmm. and the judge did not uh, allow that subpoena for a number of reasons. But isn't really? it interesting that why, such why why would the I mean. Um, Why would he well, not be? So the judge didn't enforce the subpoena? 
Um, he didn't allow the defense uh, subpoena. They were trying to summon oh. Ray Epps to testify for the defense. And they had all these technical issues, I guess, with the with the motion that was filed. And the judge, Judge Tim Kelly, who is nothing more than rubber stamp for DOJ, really egregiously so in this trial, um, would not allow Ray Epps to, to testify. But isn't it interesting that such a character who is so prevalent everywhere um, is not involved in any of these trials, even, even as a witness for the government? I mean, they haven't even called him as a witness and he was well, and of course, there. and of course, we have to for those people that are watching or you know haven't paid close attention to this, all this uh, January sixth uh, craziness, is that, and I want to get this exactly right, but days after the attack, the um, riot, wasn't Ray Epps put on the FBI's most wanted list? I don't want to get that wrong, but isn't that correct? He was. And that was the source of Darren Beatty's initial reporting at Revolver about oh. why Ray up. But here's something funny. Oh, he, 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 I just want to make sure, right. That's right. So he was correct. on the FBI's most wanted list days after the riot, right? Correct. Wow. Okay. And then when Darren, I think, started asking questions, that's when he was removed. But get this, the FBI's Twitter page, their pinned tweet is still... Oh. People wanted uh, in connection with the attack on the Capitol. And there is still a picture of Ray Epps talking to Ryan Samsel. Now, Ryan Samsel has been in custody since January of 2021. He's been in like eight different prisons under pretrial detention orders. He hasn't even had his trial yet. They caught Ryan, Epps, Ryan Samsel right away. So why do they still have Ray Epps's photo but wait. here we are now, almost 28 months later. Wait, wait, wait. Epps, so there's a, okay, there's a lot to unpack with that. So yeah. let's start with this. So you're telling me there's a, so we know that Epps was on the most, the FBI's most wanted list, somehow disappeared. But there's also a picture of Epps talking to Samsel? Yes. Okay. In a big collage on the FBI's Twitter page, it is still a picture. <laughs> it's still pinned. That's the other, Okay. Yeah. Okay. So everybody that's out there. So if you're on truth social, you can pin a truth to the top. We actually have that, that capability now. So if it's something you really like, you know, say most people put a, you know, picture that they like or a story that they like. I have, I have a video that I did. Uh, I did the X 22 podcast here a few days ago. So I have that one pinned to my, to, to my account right now, but Julie, I tend to change these, my pins, you know, every few days, you know, maybe I leave them up for couple weeks at the most. So you're saying the FBI has a pinned tweet on their FBI Twitter account, which by the way, I don't get on Twitter. So I don't follow the FBI, but well, hell, I think now Elon Musk from, from the last night on uh, Tucker Carlson was saying that the FBI had access to read everybody's direct messages on, on Twitter. Right. But um Wow, I wonder who's running the FBI's Twitter account. Seems like that would be an interesting uh, question for One Congress. One can to, only to guess answer. who. Yes, right. Maybe it's Peter Strzok. I don't know. Um, wow, that's that is so wild. Yeah. Um, let me. Um, so, Julie, we have a lot of people that are interacting uh, today on uh, Rumble with us, and I just want to get some of the questions out because um, it's on topic here. But the first one is from, I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to get your name wrong, but Renegade, I think is, was what the guy goes by. But 
or gal, who knows. Um, How many Jan 6 prisoners are there that have been without a hearing yet? Because you just mentioned one, Samuelson, right? So Ryan Samsel, um, he's been in custody since January of 2021. Mm -hmm. So, um, but he has not had a trial yet, but he has been detained for that long. Um, So there are numerous, I mean, including the Proud Boys who are on trial now, uh, four of them have been behind bars since the spring of 2021 waiting for this trial that started in December and is still- How, How many are still waiting? Um, in the Proud Boys, there's four. It's, there's it's four. hard to okay. get a number. There are mm-hmm. still several who have been in custody for 20, 18, 12 months, denied bail, uh, awaiting trial for various offenses, some of them for nonviolent offenses, which includes the members of the Proud Boys, included members of the Oath Keepers, the militia mm-hmm. groups, worst militia in history. They brought no weapons to the Capitol, uh, but nonetheless, judges have denied their bail. And so those are the political prisoners. But on top of that, you also have defendants who are convicted or taking plea deals that this D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, Matthew Graves, is seeking excessive sentences for anyone who is either convicted or takes a plea uh, for January 6th. Yeah. And like and like we talked about last time on this, that I, I still don't understand. I have no problem with the full maximum sentencing for the people who broke the windows and broke into the Capitol and, you know, anybody that actually assaulted a police officer. Um, But it doesn't seem to me like those are the people they're going after. In fact, I think last time that you were on the show, there was only one and it wasn't even a, and the guy wasn't even a Trump voter. If I remember right, it was somebody else that had been, there's only been one so far been prosecuted that, that actually we know broke into the, into the Capitol, broke through a window. Right. There have been a couple who have been charged and are on trial for breaking windows. Dominic Pozzola is one of them. He's one of the Proud Boys who's on trial right now. Um, And there have been several who have been held also for assaulting police officers and, of course, been convicted. The problem, though, Devin, is the disparity in the sentencing. Mm-hmm. Matthew Graves, the D.C. U.S. attorney, and I have a piece up today on him. Um, oh, he's in, put it, we'll put it up on the screen. I didn't know you had a new piece out today. I missed he, it. Yeah, he's in the unique position of, uh, as you know, prosecuting both local and federal crimes in Washington, D.C. But as Washington, D.C. goes the way of New York and other violent cities, as we saw with the House Judiciary Committee this week, Um, As he has the highest declination rate, meaning he continues to decline prosecuting violent crimes in D.C., he is prioritizing all of his resources to go after almost all of the defendants in January 6th who live outside of Washington, D.C., dragging them to the Capitol, charging them, forcing them to go on trial or, um, you know, tormenting them into plea deals, holding them in in uh, indefinite incarceration and then seeking outlandish sentences. So there's no there's no parity there between how he's handling Trump supporters and true repeat violent offenders. I, t- I touched a little on my piece. Yeah, and so I'll, I'll I tell really- you, I was in Washington a couple of weeks ago and uh, talking to a lot of my former colleagues and people that I used to work with. It's becoming dangerous there in Washington, D.C. I mean, it's not just the homelessness and all of that that you see in all the major cities, but, but there's a lot of... Um, um, people that are getting mugged in like, you know, broad daylight. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you have this, 
So this is a, is this a federal judge? Yes. These are all federal judges. Matthew mm -hmm. Graves is the U.S. attorney for D.C. Yeah. So he prosecutes both federal and local crimes. And he's actually under quite a bit of, of heat in Washington, D.C. for what's happening. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, the, his office just got $34 million in new funding to hire 100 plus prosecutors only to task January 6 cases. They're pulling U.S. attorneys from other offices. I just posted today on Twitter um, a U.S. attorney from Pennsylvania who has been assigned to Matthew Graves' office in D.C. to go after January 6ers. And to your po point, most of these defendants are charged with either nonviolent offenses like obstruction or low-level misdemeanors like parading. This is a real threat, not just to the security of Washington, D.C., as Graves fixates on four-hour disturbance that happened almost 28 months ago, um, but it jeopardizes the safety of other jurisdictions because they're pulling resources from across the country, FBI field offices and U.S. attorney's offices, to continue the selective prosecution um, of Trump supporters who protested Joe Biden's election on January 6th. Uh, so I want to... Okay, so that's there's those feds. Let's just call them feds that we now know because of this Proud Boys trial. But there, there are some. There, there was also, and, and I'm not sure exactly how we came about this or how this this came public. But there were metropolitan police officers that were caught on tape. We now know that they were actually police officers in mm -hmm. in civilian clothes. Um, and I want to run. I've got. I think we'll go to cut two. I got about a 40 second video here that I'll play for you, Julie, and then you can maybe walk us through kind of how, the, how did we learn this? Who are these people? What do, what do we know so far about them? But let's play the, let's roll the tape here. Help him out! Hold on, wait! Push him wait, up! Push him up! Help me bend it! Come on, come on, come on, let's go! Leave that, leave it, leave it! Everyone in the fucking house, goddammit! Fucking hang out! Julie. So what did we just see there? Who was that? So what you saw were, were at least three undercover DC metropolitan police officers. One of them had like a GoPro helmet, they call it, mm -hmm. uh, with a camera on it because DC Metro police, unlike Capitol Police, are required to have some body, uh, body camera on them. This was recorded. Uh, it was found on the digital platform that uploaded all the evidence and body-worn camera footage. So someone came across this. They filed it to be um, used in their case. But what you saw there, Devin, is undercover police officers who were acting like Trump supporters, who were urging people before that clip urging people to go towards the building. You hear at one point, this officer is screaming, whose house, our house, whose house, our house. He's chanting USA, USA. You know, they're acting like Trump supporters filing into the crowd. If you saw that blue bracelet 
that little rubber bracelet that yes. was circled. DC Metro, in a very lengthy report that was also just uncovered, um, they were handing out these bracelets uh, to show, there you go, to identify among themselves that they were working undercover for DC Metro. So that's just one example. And we know that now for sure. That's Absolutely. what the bracelets were. Absolutely. Okay. That's what the bracelets were for. Um, there were probably dozens of undercover DC Metro. I think this one case identified at least 15. So there's just, you know, that just reinforces and confirms people's suspicions, not just of undercover assets, but again, the big question, the place was crawling with uniformed and undercover agents from multiple law enforcement agencies, including Secret Service, the FBI, Park Police, Capitol Police. Why did they allow this to happen? And then in this instance, why are they specifically instigating uh, people to what they were doing is committing crimes. Yeah. Well, look, we've talked about it before, and I've always said this. The, the only time I've, my time in Washington, over so many of these events, the only time that real fencing wasn't actually put up when they knew there were going to be hundreds of thousands of people there for the rally. That, by the way, I will say over and over again, since I said from day one, it is the constitutional right of Americans to protest their government. And there wasn't a day that I was in Washington that... I didn't see some type of protest somewhere, mm -hmm. including, by the way, foreigners who came to protest in Washington, D.C., by the way, just to just to get that on the record. So, yeah, it makes no sense that why when they knew this was happening now they've got lots of uh, uniform people out there. And then wasn't there a picture, too, of one of the uh, was it a U.S. attorney or assistant U.S. attorney that was out there in plain clothes, too? I think you brought that up last time you were on the show. Right. So not only were there law enforcement agents who were undercover, you had Michael Sherwin, who is the acting That's U.S. Right. attorney for the right. District of Columbia, basically acting like an undercover agent himself in plain clothes, walking around the ellipse, reporting back to uh, at the FBI what he was seeing and then walking over towards the Capitol. He's kind of mingling with police and chit chatting. Why was the acting U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia acting as an undercover asset. And when he went to go testify, Devin, to the January 6th committee, they, he was only permitted to talk about what he did until two o'clock that day when he suddenly transformed himself from an undercover agent to a U.S. prosecutor. They cut off all questioning after that. It, 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 there's so many bizarre aspects of January 6th, and we're just learning more and more, not just from the trials, um, but things like this, body-worn camera footage that's coming out from uh, D.C. Metro Police. Right. So I want to get to, I mean, this is all fascinating. That gets, It gets worse and worse. But mm -hmm. you have an article that I don't know if this was, I don't know if this is your latest one, um, but it was from a week ago called Ruling Throws Jan 6 Prosecution into Chaos. Mm -hmm. um, that's, the, that's the headline there, Julie. So what can we, so tell us what this, was, this is about. So what it's a little complicated. Do? I'm going to try to um, uncomplicate it, but people can go to my article and, and try to figure it out more. So the DOJ, since day one, has handed down this felony count called obstruction of an official proceeding. This is an evidence tampering felony that was passed into law uh, in the post and after the post Enron scandal. 
It is intended to close a legal loophole that related to destroying or tampering with evidence. Um, 20 years, it has never been used in this manner. But the DOJ has slapped this felony against more than 320, 330 January Sixers. This is the um, felony offense that landed Jacob Chansley in jail uh, in solitary confinement. And then he pleaded guilty to this obstruction felony and um, mm -hmm. sentenced 41 months in prison. Jacob Chansley is the, just forever who don't know, I call him the Viking dude, the guy that had the horns. Right. Right, yeah. the horn guy with the face paint. Yeah, yeah um, which is really unfortunate. You know, that's like we've talked about. You feel horrible for that um, gentleman because he just seems like he's got some. You know, I don't know. He just seems like he has some issues, and um, you know, can't imagine why they, somebody they'd lock somebody like that up. You know. Well, shame on uh, Judge Royce Lambert, the Reagan-appointed judge, because he's the one who did it. So shame on him for doing it. Um, but uh, look, this has been thrown against. This it has resulted in years of prison terms for otherwise nonviolent uh, offenders, people who would only have trespassing charges like disorderly conduct, uh, trespassing in a restricted area, parading in the Capitol, which is my favorite misdemeanor. So they've added this obstruction felony to turn otherwise low-level petty offenses, turn these people into felons, forcing them into plea deals or to go to trial, where, of course, they're convicted in Washington, D.C., um, only one judge, Devin, one judge on the D.C. District Court had the guts to dismiss this obstruction count against three January 6th defendants. He dismissed it twice. DOJ came and appealed this judge, Judge Nichols's ruling to dismiss this case, saying, you know, it doesn't meet the statute. It doesn't meet the requirements. He kind of parsed the language to show how it didn't. So DOJ appealed this. It went to the uh, D.C. Circuit, the appellate court last December. Oral arguments were heard. And then a few weeks ago, the D.C. Circuit, in a very splintered, crazy decision, 107-page opinion, um, went in various different directions as to the legitimacy of this obstruction felony in January 6 cases. So I explain it a little bit, but the bottom line is, even the woman, the Biden-appointed judge who wrote the opinion to reverse Judge Nichols's decision, um, she acknowledged that it's never been used this way in its 20-year, the statute's 20-year history. This is the felony that is criminalizing political dissent. You had people who walked into the Capitol building at three o'clock. The joint session had been over for an hour and a half. The place had mostly been evacuated. They're still being charged with obstruction of an official proceeding. So the idea that now it's criminal and punishable by up to 20 years in prison, um, it's criminal to interrupt a government proceeding, a government meeting, a hearing. I mean, you were on Capitol Hill a long time. It happened routinely. Mm -hmm. No one was turned yeah. into a felon and thrown out. It happened. Matter of fact, the Democrats, it was almost it every time before, it was always the Democrats or people aligned with the Democrats who did it. Never was it a Republican group that was or anybody aligned with a conservative in my 20 years there that uh, that had stopped proceedings. Or I mean, I remember these, you know, they'd come into the Capitol and we'd have to evacuate the Capitol because they wouldn't leave. They'd lock them. They'd chain themselves up and mm -hmm. it was just wild stuff. And over and over again, I'm not even sure any of those people ever got, you know, anything more than a misdemeanor. That's right. They usually get, what, a $50 ticket, a slap on the wrist, and they're released. They're not thrown yeah. in a D.C. gulag denied bail for months or maybe even over a year. 
in some and Julie, cases, I, I had lunatics that would come into my office. I, I can't remember if we talked about this last time. You get, uh, you know, they'd fill up my office that I had in my in in my California district office and in Washington, and they'd come in all at the same time. This was during the height of the Russia hoax nonsense, mm -hmm. uh, with all their crazy, weird Putin Russia nuttiness stuff. And they'd walk in and they'd sit down. And they wouldn't leave. And it was, you know, my we ended we ended up having to like lock our office because, you know, we couldn't tell whenever you know the next time our office was going to be inundated with these lunatics and none of them were ever charged with anything. Well, that's the selective prosecution that I'm mm -hmm. sure infuriates you after how you were targeted. Um, not just yeah. you, your staff, your family were targeted by these lunatics. Um, it's this sort of selective prosecution, double standard of justice that Americans mm -hmm. really uh, are outraged about. To your point, people can agree if you assaulted a police officer um, or you did damage to the building, uh, you should pay the price. That's just simply not the case in any other or certainly something like this obstruction of an official proceeding. So, so anyway, so, this count will get to the Supreme Court eventually. That's OK. That's what I was just going to ask. So so this it was a split decision. What was the, was it a, what did the, what do they call it when um, all the uh, justices have to weigh in? Um, so did, oh, and bank. Uh, and, yeah. So did they all rule on this or was it just a three, a three member panel? Right. So this was a three member panel, one Biden appointee, two Trump appointees. So it could go okay. to, to the full circuit to your point. Um, uh, but in either way, it, it, it will end up uh, at the Supreme Court where it should, because mm -hmm. it's such a novel unprecedented use, clearly weaponizing it uh, to use against political protesters. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It seems like it. Um, so we have one, a uh, couple other questions here that I want to get to. I'm sorry. Everybody's putting questions up and I'm, no, not I love being it. A very, I'm not being a very good host here, Julie. No, it's great. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not a professional. I just kind of do this for fun to help promote people <laughs> like you that use true social. So uh, keep people informed. Um, so two, two questions. Uh, why hasn't every January 6th tape been released mm -hmm. and kind of, do you know, do you know the plan for, for the tapes? I know that Speaker McCarthy has allowed Tucker Carlson's people to review them, but do we know anything more? I really don't know anything more. I know that house members are accessing that footage and looking at it as well. Um, and look, the government, DOJ, and Capitol Police are fighting very hard for any release of this footage. Um, what's interesting, aside from Speaker McCarthy's promise to make this public, is that there are now a few lawsuits, in, including, and you'll love this, your, some of your favorite um, news organizations are actually suing the Department of Justice and the FBI for failing to um, fulfill FOIA requests for this footage. You know, it's amazing after Tucker Carlson's team got it, uh -huh. the same news media who could have asked for this for two years themselves. Right. Now all of a sudden they're upset. They want all the footage instead of selective clips that they were asking for in court that they thought would support the insurrection narrative. So they have filed a civil lawsuit against um, Matthew Graves, the U.S. Attorney's Offices and FBI um, but they, they've also filed a separate motion in another January 6th defendant's case, William Pope, um, who's seeking to have this, um, the undercover Metropolitan Police Department video used in his case. They've also filed a motion in his case to get all of the surveillance video released. So it's hard to see at this point um, how 
down the road, we won't be able to see most of the video from inside and outside that building. Let's hope. And if the judges don't allow it, then Speaker McCarthy really should, because the American people have been misled on so many levels about January 6th. And what I like to say, Devin, is unlike Russiagate, where you had mm -hmm. to drag out all of these documents and wait and wait, we have video, right? I mean, if only you had video of, you know, Christopher Steele meeting with the oars or you know, Christopher Steele and Glenn Simpson meeting with, you know, Michael Isakoff, you know, it would tell the whole story. Right. Um, you, you guys didn't have that, but we have the videos, we have the audios, we have a lot of it that will, Americans can see for themselves exactly what happened that day. Yeah. And I, I think, yeah, the, the videos need to get out. I mean, I think if there was anything that was sensitive, I mean, that's be pretty easy to deal with. I guess one of the challenges it's, you know, I don't know, that, what, 40,000 hours of tape or something. Well, we would only need the video really inside and outside the Capitol that day. So this is, as you know, the closed circuit TV system from all the buildings, you know, mm -hmm. and all the grounds. We only need inside and outside the Capitol building um, from really the day before through when they reconvened at about nine o'clock. Yeah. So we have one from Steph Go. Um, this is about Tennessee, but, but basically the asking if the Democratic congressman led us. Uh, an insurrection in, in the Tennessee state uh, legislature, which I don't know if you've covered that at all. We covered that last week. Actually, what I would say is go back and watch Sean Davis from the Federalist mm -hmm. who actually talked a lot about this. You can look at my last episode from, I think that was okay. last Friday. So, um, okay, Julie, I want to put up, um, yeah, uh, your story from looks like today, you wrote a story about uh, Jim Jordan's oversight hearing. Um, House GOP needs to take the road show home. So what, uh, so tell us about your latest story from today. So this really just uh, urges House Republicans to walk a few blocks to Matthew Graves' office or hold some sort of hearing near the U.S. Attorney's office there. Because what oh. they did in New York yesterday I was a little skeptical, but I think it turned out really well for House Judiciary Committee. I think it really exposed Democrats for the heartless. That seems like Adam Schiff, uh, Adam Schiff ended up on his feet and ended up on the uh, Judiciary Committee. Yeah. He's no longer, uh, no longer uh, on the Intelligence Committee, which probably makes America much safer, but uh, is on the Judiciary Committee and finds himself. Well, wasn't he kicked off? Was he kicked off of intelligence? He was kicked Harvey? off of intelligence. Yes. Yeah. But so now he's on GDP. But you had to love the guy who stood up and called him a scumbag like three or four times. That was hugely gratifying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I probably probably we shouldn't support that type of behavior. But I think people have I'm all for it. Uh, watched uh, uh, Adam Schiff for too long. And I think that's how they feel about him all over the country because that's he's. Right. He's, you know, I mean, even, I mean, forget what he did on intelligence. That was really bad, but also just the whole January 6th, uh, fake, uh, fake committee really that mm -hmm. operated and caused so many problems the last couple of years. That's right. So I hope that they now turn their attention to Matthew Graves because what Alvin Bragg did is unprecedented and we all agree that it's wrong, but he's been sort of universally ridiculed. What Matthew Graves is doing, rounding up more than a thousand Trump supporters, planning to round up a thousand more. This investigation is only through its halfway point. Um, while the city of Washington, D.C. De descends into complete violent chaos, 
Um, this is what Graves is doing is as unprecedented, as vengeful, partisan, and dangerous as anything that Alvin Bragg has been doing in New York City. Yeah, I think, yeah, well, I don't know. There's so All of these cities are, are, are bad, but I, you know, I mean, look, they could pick any city, but I think to your point is it's directly on point mm-hmm. with what Republicans are investigating. It deals with the U.S. Capitol. It deals with the shenanigans uh, that the Democrats have been, um, you know, up to in Washington. I mean, I think that the issue, Julia, is just from, you know, me reading the tea leaves and you probably sense this too you just have a lot of our mm-hmm. you know our my former colleagues that many of them are tough and many of them want to be out there and many of them think that that january 6 none of no no one condones it no one thinks that windows should have been broke and that sort of thing um but clearly pelosi had a lot of responsibility for that day from the fencing to not calling in the military when the mm-hmm. trump administration made it available but then you have a lot of Republicans in, in Washington who, you know, many of them I get along with. I consider them to be friends, but, you know, they never want, they're always afraid of getting that mic put in front of them, walking around the Capitol by the fake news and being asked questions like, why are you supporting insurrections? Right. Or why are you supporting Donald Trump? Or, you know, those those sorts of things. And so they, they're they just weak. They get mm-hmm. weak because they're, they're scared. And I, I don't know if you sense that also. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yes, they are weak. Um, They're they're afraid. And I think even more so they're afraid that this DOJ is so out of control, so unaccountable. I mean, you have criminal referrals still hanging over the heads of people like Jim Jordan and Andy Biggs and um, Scott Perry, who was under criminal investigation. The FBI snatched his cell phone right out of his hand the day after the Mar-a-Lago raid. Yeah. And you have a judge, Obama judge. Which, by the way, ever- Scott Scott Perry, um, great member of Congress. He was mm-hmm. a, a one or one star general, I think, in the Reserve, uh, Pennsylvania Reserve. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, yeah, horrible. And he doesn't even know. I mean, it's just awful what they've done to him. And he's a sitting United States congressman mm-hmm. um, right. that they took his cell phone and put him under criminal investigation. It's really crazy. And you have this Beryl Howell, who is the ch- former chief judge of the D.C. District Court. I'm sure her name is familiar to you. She also was the chief judge under Robert Mueller's investigation. Um, she is trying to she's fighting hard to allow the FBI and DOJ to take all the contents of Scott Perry's phone, almost all of it, Um all executive privilege, all congressional protections are, have been completely obliterated by this court. And mm-hmm. what could Scott Perry be under investigation? They're just they're searching for crimes. Right. And in the meanwhile, yeah. these guys have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. Their families are you know, upended. So I get the fear of people who are in legal jeopardy because this DOJ is so rogue. But at the same time, the American people deserve the truth about January 6th. My opinion, next to the after the open border, this is the biggest crisis in the country because they are setting really dangerous legal precedents here. Not only obstruction, the total obliteration of executive privilege for a president, unprecedented FBI raid of a president, um, criminal charges. And we're just getting started. Wait till Jack Smith um, files his criminal indictments against Donald Trump for both classified documents and January 6th. This is escalating. So House Republicans, Senate Republicans are useless. House Republicans need to find the courage 
because the pretext of January 6th is being used in such dangerous, unprecedented ways that if they don't stop it, just like Russiagate, no accountability, it's only going to uh, it's only going to get worse. Yeah, and, if, and if we and if we learn something from from Russiagate is, you know, I think at least we did have the ability to slow them down with all of their nonsense. We made, you know, at least we have half of America who knows this was a complete hoax. Mm -hmm. um, and there ultimately was a special counsel that's, a, you know, that was appointed in John Durham, who I think now is being held up by Merrick Garland, mm -hmm. um, has been unable to bring any prosecutions. But we did learn from that, um, that, you know, you bring indictments against Democrats in Washington, D.C., you skate. I mean, you're guaranteed to skate. I mean, that's a crisis in and of in and of itself. And what we know from these people, from when I say these people, the left in this country, they double down and triple down, and they really don't care because if you were a Russia hoaxer, you graduated up. You're now at the top levels of the mm -hmm. DOJ, all across the government. You're you're all across the government. You've been promoted. And I think, and I think that's to your your point that, you know, I actually think that the the this is all kind of related. I mean, you mentioned the border and these all these different crises, but it can be really summed up as as the total corruption of the Department of Justice is the number one problem, because from from that everything else that's that's endorsing this lawlessness, right? Because the Department of Justice should be the one to step in and tell the Homeland Security um, uh, Secretary, uh, "Hey, dude, you're not following the law," right? I mean, so from January 6th shenanigans to the Russia to Russia gate to the border to um, a whole host of other issues. I mean, obviously, to what they're doing to uh, President Trump with the documents hoax raid, the difference in how they're treating Hunter Biden. Right. And, you know, if it was any of us, Julie, if it was you or I or anybody watching this this show right now, um, we would have been indicted, uh, prosecuted, convicted on numerous felonies, numerous felonies. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's at least five, six, seven of them in there. And that doesn't count if you just did a little bit of an investigation. And that would have happened back in two, by 2019 or 2021 at the, at the latest. Um, and yet, so you've got that strange, strangeness where nobody's ever raided Hunter Biden, yet they're raiding. I mean, think about this. And I've had, you know, I was with some friends that were in, in Florida, but they were visiting from overseas and, you know, they I mean, they they were laughing at us. But I mean, we're we're in a banana republic. The United States of America is now yeah. a banana republic the way. I mean, that's really what this is. This is about raiding Mar-a-Lago makes us a banana republic. You know, it leads to, you know, the crazy indictment in Manhattan. And I think you're right. It's going to only get worse if the Republicans don't do something. Final final word to you, Julie, because I know you got to get on another podcast. But well, thank you so much for having me. Um, and people can read all of my work. Thank you so much for having me on covering my work. Um, I always say to you or Jack or Cash, you know, you guys were really the the models. You know, you were the initial warriors. When I watched you guys do what you did with Russiagate really so much on your own, it was, um, you know, just a good learning experience for me and for others who are trying to break through this January 6th, um, what, what's happening and the criminalization, um, uh, weaponization of this DOJ, it really has to be held to account. When you say Banana Republic, what's happening in Washington, D.C., between the mm -hmm. D.C. District Court, Circuit Court, the Washington Field Office, and D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office. That is your banana republic. It holds all the power. It's extremely destructive. Um, and so I hope that 
uh, you know, we can all work together and especially the viewers, call your congressman and force them to confront what's happening uh, with this banana republic style DOJ. Well, there you have it from Julie Kelly, who writes in American Greatness. Julie, I really appreciate all, all your work for so many years and having the, you know, not only the willingness, but the guts to call it as you see it and dig into this. There's only a few reporters who are really digging deep uh, into this corruption as it surrounds the January 6th riots. And uh, and with that, though, Julia, I just want to thank you uh, and, and American Greatness and for your willingness to come on and educate our viewers today. Always hope to see, hope to be back again soon. All right. This is Devin Nunes. We will catch you next time. Yeah.